0: You may be seated. Good morning. Our text this morning is from Judges 16, 23 through 31. So if you have your Bibles or in the bulletin, please turn there with me. Judges 16, 23 through 31. Uh, If there is a title to the sermon, it could be called The Necessity of Repentance. Let's pray uh, before we begin. Father in heaven, we look to you. You are the one who by your spirit opens up the scriptures to us, uh, interprets it for us, helps us to understand it. So guide us by your spirit now as we uh, to hear your word preached. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I lived in Sarasota, I had a great strength and conditioning coach. Oh, here's Nick talking about strength and conditioning again. Uh, I had a good strength and conditioning coach named uh, Frank Dimeo. He was an awesome Christian man. He was very helpful in my early walk as a Christian and young adult, but he loved to beat me up. He loved to beat me up in training. Uh, after every training day, there would be some sort of finisher, some sort of thing to just make sure you were, you were done for. Uh, and this one time, he says, pick up this heavy sandbag and walk a mile with it. And I thought, all right, you know, that's not too bad. It's just walking and no sled pushes or tire flips or anything crazy, so I pick it up, start walking with it, Um, and before I uh, could could realize it, slowly but surely, just became torture, pure agony. Uh, It just descended into terrible pain. I couldn't wait to get this sandbag off of my back. It was just slow and agonizing, but at first it started off pretty easy. Sin, my friends, is a very similar thing. It starts off nice. It starts off going okay. You often think it is innocent. It's not too bad, but it ends in your demise. And so our passage today reminds us of the necessity of repentance. Repentance being a turning from your sin, a hating of your sin, and instead of turning to the Lord Jesus through Confession of your sins to God and an endeavoring to follow His ways, and so we must get sin off of our backs like this sandbag. Uh, this is what we'll find in this story today. Our uh, big idea this morning is that since curses are due to the unfaithful, we must repent. We must repent. Our outline is pretty simple. We'll see a celebration. We'll see a call and we will see an answer. A celebration, a call, and an answer. And so let's draw our attention first to the first couple verses where we see that God's name uh, is dishonored when we are unfaithful, and so we must live lives that glorify our God and Father. Now, Judges is the probably the saddest book, one of the saddest books, at least, in all of the Bible. It records one of the darkest times in Israel's history, and during this period, God appointed judges to govern the people and to deliver them from their enemies graciously, and this book uh, overall shows us the importance of repentance. Throughout the book, there is this cycle where Israel will forget the Lord, they're punished, they repent, then they're delivered from their enemies, and uh, this cycle just continues throughout the book, and Samson's life has a very similar cycle. He's set apart by God like Israel, he's blessed. Uh, Then he sins, he's punished, he repents, and in a sense is delivered, as we will see today. He's delivered from his shame, from their mocking and contempt, and he he is avenged. Uh, A couple more things we need to remember uh, as we begin. Uh, The the first thing is that Samson was a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite, which means one separated. He was a separated one. The first time we read about this is in Numbers chapter 6 where we learn that one could take this Nazarite vow and separate himself or herself to the Lord for a certain amount of time, during which they were not permitted to drink any alcohol or shave their heads. And so Samson was a Nazarite to God from the womb, from his birth. An angel of the Lord came to his mother, telling her that she would bear a child and that he would be a Nazarite. Secondly, as you probably know, Samson had some serious issues with women. He had women, woman problems. You probably remember a woman named Delilah, and happens earlier in chapter 16. Samson, being a pretty foolish man, falls in love with this woman who is clearly trying to deceive him. Now, the Philistines come to Delilah and ask her to seduce him and find out his weakness. And eventually, he tells her that the strength will leave him if she cuts his hair, even though he tells her, even though she's clearly being deceptive. As they say, what the heart wants, the mind finds reasonable. And Samson's heart wanted Delilah. This led him to being captured by the Philistines. They gouged out his eyes and threw him in prison. I want you to also notice verse 22, if you have your Bibles open, the verse right prior to our passage. says, but the hair of his head, Samson's head, began to grow again after it had been shaved. So we see God's already at work. Uh, Now, God gave Samson this remarkable strength. God gave Samson this strength as long as as he kept the vow. It wasn't magic. I remember thinking as a kid. this was a magical story. It It wasn't magic. It was the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Samson who was set apart for God. He did all of this, all of his strength, through the Spirit of God and through Samson's foolishness and his lack of desire to follow God's call upon his life. The vow was broken, and so he was punished. And now we get to verse 23, our passage, where we see the Philistines gleefully giving sacrifices to their false god, Dagon. They rejoiced. They, thinking that they have conquered the God of Israel and his servant, go to praise their victorious God, and so they are filled with joy. And they are in this uh, most likely a temple structure, Probably the temple or house of Dagon, their false uh, god, and the lords of the Philistines are there. In other words, the big dogs are there, and they're worshiping their idol because they believed he was the cause of their enemy being given into their hands. However, we know the cause was Samson's own sin, his own breach of faith, his own breaking of the Nazarite vow, his own foolishness. Samson's in their hands because Yahweh is disciplining his servant. God was dishonored through his unfaithfulness, which brought some negative consequences, to say the least, as sin always does. You know, we all know children uh, who are grow up in the church and, and maybe go off on wayward path, and uh, and and that can often bring shame upon. Uh, The parents. It can also uh, often dishonor, uh, be a dishonor to the parents when their kids grow up and yet they go another way. In the same way, Christian, our unfaithfulness dishonors our Heavenly Father. When we live lives that are unworthy of the gospel, when we live lives that are not glorifying to God, the world's rejection of God is often confirmed. Do we not see that here with the Philistines? Take note of this. When God's people are making these grand falls like Samson, uh, the world says, see, look at us. We are right. In our context today, the world says when Christians have these big falls, see, why would you ever believe in Christianity? Look at these hypocrites, these liars, these deceivers. It often leads them to worship their idols, to dig their feet in deeper, their heels in deeper into unbelief. And so we must live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we live in this way, a life full of humility, a life full of repentance, and when we are not frightened, as we read this morning, when we are not frightened by anything in our opponents, Scripture says in Philippians 1, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that of God. So may our lives be a sign of their destruction, and not lives that give them confirmation. Woe to us when we profess to know Christ and have hearts that are far from the Lord, and have no integrity in our hearts, like Samson. Woe to us when we forget the vows we've taken, like Samson, and cast them aside for the sake of our own desires. Now also, this doesn't only often, when we have these big falls, confirm the world's unbelief, But it often weakens the faith of Christians. Take heed to Jesus' words. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is especially wicked when the hypocrisy of leaders is what leads Christians astray. Leaders in the church, leaders in the home, leaders... In other capacities, we must be watchful. Take heed of yourselves. Guard your hearts. We are not our own. How many kids grow up hating the idea of marriage because of their fathers? Or how many hate the idea of Christianity because of an abusive, maybe, Catholic school teacher that they had growing up? Christians, we we must be examples not of perfection, Not of perfection, but of humility, of faith, of repentance. A life of following Christ, knowing our weaknesses, admitting our weaknesses in sin, but following him with our whole heart, nonetheless. So many Christians think a call to repentance is this sort of call to perfection. Uh, But it's not. It's a call to humbly rely upon the Lord, to love him more than your sin. For when we are weak, then we are strong. For when we are weak, then we are strong. And so may Samson's unfaithfulness, his breach of faith, remind us of the necessity of living lives that are consistent with this marvelous gospel that we profess. And so we've seen the Philistines' celebration due to Samson's foolishness. And now let's look at this call. We've seen a celebration, and now we will see a call. Draw. Let me draw your attention to verses 25 through 28 where we see that since since God remembers the penitent, we must remember him. And so now we see the Philistines are drunk, verse 25. Their hearts are merry, that's what that means there. They were filled with much wine, too much wine, and they decide to pull Samson out of the prison, who already had his eyes gouged out, and humiliate him some more, because they want to be entertained. They want to be entertained and so they push the boundaries of their sin even farther. The wicked love to outdo their own evil. Their pride makes them certain that Dagon, their false god, uh, nothing but the work of human hands, has given them the victory over this ravager of their country, as it says. And so the author is continuing to set up the scene here. Samson's dragged out of the prison. He's forced to stand between these these two pillars. And and already we see that the Lord had the Philistines place him in the exact spot needed to defeat them. God is at work, you see. And then he asked this young man who brought Samson out of the prison to let him lean on these pillars. Pretty comical, if you think about it. Pretty comical. The Lord is at work. And in verse 27, the author makes a, a parenthetical note of sorts. And it says that the temple was full of people. Like 3,000 on the roof. Very well may have included Delilah. All the lords of the Philistines who asked Delilah to seduce Samson. And the text says they were all watching. They were watching. All of these people. The idea is here that they were laughing. They were mocking. Probably saying things like, Where is your God now? Samson. Or, Save yourself, Samson. Aren't you the judge of Israel? Come down from there. Samson, resting on these pillars with all these people mocking the captured, tortured, uh, defeated man of God, he prays and he asks, he has two requests in our passage this morning. Two requests. Remember me. Please remember me and strengthen me. As you read in the prophet Jeremiah, uh, He says a very similar thing after God is declaring judgment on the people. Jeremiah calls to the Lord, says, You who know, O Lord, remember me. Take notice of me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. And so Samson here is a penitent man who is aware that God is in control, even if he desires to avenge the Philistines for his eyes. This is not a sinful request. And so this is a, a prayer that shows a heart of humility, a change in Samson, a, a contrite heart. He understands how unworthy he is. He says, just this once. He knows who he's speaking to. Just this once. Samson's, uh, Samson is praying in faith. He, he, says, he says this prayer and expects the Lord to remember him. He expects the Lord. To strengthen him. He seems to know that God is merciful to those who repent and acknowledge their inability to do anything apart from him. The fact that God answered in the way he did also shows that Samson's prayer was of a man of repentance, filled with repentance, like the publican who smote his breast, saying, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Also in Hebrews chapter 11, we see Samson in the hall of faith as an example of faith. So in the day of trouble, Samson remembered the Lord, knowing he needs the Lord to remember him. The Lord is good and faithful to his covenant, you see. So no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how far you've gone, the Lord remembers his promises, will hear your contrite heart, will hear your prayer of of repentance and forgive you and deliver you. It's so easy when we are in a backslidden state, as Christians, when we Go down the wrong path. It's so easy to run into trouble and forget where to go. It's like when you're swamped with work. You've got so much going on and you forget the obvious things that you need to do. You just go through through the motions. You can't think clearly. And so let me remind you, no matter where you're at this morning, that the Lord remembers you. Remember Him. Call upon Him in repentance. Turning from the love of your sins through the love of Christ. No matter what you have done, no matter how you've been living, the Lord remembers you. So hear the words of our Savior. Remember these words. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or to the church in Revelation, to the church of Laodicea, in need of repentance, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's a word to the church in need of repentance. Some of you may feel like it's too late. You may think, I I was following Jesus well and I had so much light and I slowly drifted away. How could I come back now? How could I come back now? Some of you may feel like you don't belong anymore because you've wandered. my friends, again, no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how far you've gone, the Lord will hear your cry of repentance, and the church will accept your repentance. The godly Christian, take note of this, the godly Christian isn't the one who never has to repent. The godly Christian is the one that lives a life of repentance. So don't be ashamed if you have backslidden, Gone down the wrong path. Join us. Jump back on the train on this life of repentance. A life where we confess our sins to one another, encourage one another all the more. As we see the day drawing near, the Christian life can be very difficult, filled with many trials and tribulations. Come back. Many of us slip into this false notion, don't we, that uh, if we've sinned, we must sit and mope and just make sure we feel unworthy. it's like we have to do penance, some of us think this. But no. You sinned, and yes, you should hate your sin and truly confess your sin, but then immediately look to Jesus. There's no need to wallow in your sins. They have already been washed. They have been forgiven. Repentance, you see, for the Christian is simply humbly acknowledging the commandment of God that you've broken to your Heavenly Father for the sake of your communion with Him. And if you simply confess your sins, call what you did what God calls it, don't sugarcoat it, acknowledge it to Him, He promises to forgive you. He promises to forgive you. No need to wallow or mope around. And yes, there is sins that we need to grieve over. And yes, there are some Christians who are committing habitual sins and and thinking they're repenting, but really are not. And they need to weep for what they have done. But nevertheless, as one old minister said, for every one time you look at your sin, look a thousand times to Christ. Don't don't stare inward for too long. Look a thousand more times to Christ. So Christian, Jesus died in order to wash away our past, present, and future sins. So pray to the Lord. Remember me, O God, and live this life of repentance. a, A life that will be much more filled with delight and joy in the Lord, which is our strength. And so God remembers the repentant, therefore we must remember him. And now having come to this climax of the story, let's see how God answers Samson's prayer. We've we've seen a celebration from the Philistines. Uh, we've seen Samson's call, remember me, O Lord. And now we have an answer from the Lord. And so look at verses 29 through 31, where we see that since the Lord is, is, is our strength, we must rest in him. Since the Lord is our strength, we must rest in him. We learn now that Samson, uh, Samson's in their hands not only because Yahweh is disciplining his servant, but because the Lord has a plan for vengeance upon these idolaters who are filled with pride and hatred of God. The Lord works all things according to the counsel of his will, you see. This includes Samson's sins. God has a purpose in them. This includes our sins. You may have heard, uh, a little background, you may have heard the uh, blessings and curses of the covenant in Deuteronomy. You may be familiar with this, pat- this uh, portion of Scripture where God, through Moses, exhorts the people, telling them that if they obey, they will be blessed, and if they do not, they will be cursed. Sin has consequences. In 28:25 of Deuteronomy, we read that if they do not obey the voice of the Lord, it says, "...I will cause you to be defeated before your enemies." Interesting, Samson, as a covenant judge, is put under a curse of the covenant for disobeying the Lord. But in the same chapter, in the same chapter, we learn that God hears his cry for deliverance and answers the prayer of his servant Samson, thereby granting him a covenant blessing. Deuteronomy 28.7, under the section of, of covenant blessing, says that the Lord... Uh, The Lord says, I will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. And the Lord does this again here for Samson. And so we see in these verses, Samson pulling down the temple or the house of Dagon, sacrificing himself for the defeat of the enemies of God. Surely vengeance, Christian, is of the Lord. Surely vengeance is of the Lord. uh, Samson had no strength apart from the Spirit of God. Did he? And neither do we. For you have been given a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The text emphasizes how much the Lord blessed Samson in his death. For he killed more in his death than in his life. More in his death than in his life. But that's bittersweet, isn't it? That's bittersweet, isn't it? How much more could Samson have accomplished as the judge of Israel if his own foolishness didn't get in his way? We have to wonder. Sin really has consequences. The blessing continues in verse 31. His family took him and buried him with his father. This is blessing. And now we, we need to understand something here. This isn 't suicide from Samson. Samson isn 't committing a sin here. He is captured and will be killed. So this is the death of a warrior. This is service to the Lord in death. This is sacrificing yourself for the sake of the mission, which is exactly what Samson, during his life, did not learn to do. He learned it in death. He lived with half hearted devotion to God, half hearted devotion to his responsibility as a covenant judge. And sometimes we too, like Samson, don't realize how we need to change until it's too late. Something the Philistines learned around the same time as Samson learned it. Nevertheless, God vengefully wiped out those who mocked Samson, those who have been harming his people. God made everything right, for God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The Lord was Samson's strength. It was The Lord was his rest. How would a wife sleep soundly at night with a cowardly husband next to her? How would, how would children be secure with a father they can never rely on? Christian, our father is trustworthy. He is our strength. We must rest in him, rely upon him, for we can do nothing apart from him. And thankfully, he is all you will ever need. Our God, who we can rely on, will make all things right, as he did for Samson in the end. He will have vengeance upon the wicked, which should lead any of us to repentance. It should lead anyone to humbly fall on their knees in reliance upon the Lord. We, too, Christians have enemies. The church has enemies. There's many Christians in other lands who are persecuted from, violently persecuted uh, because of their faith as we speak. Hatred of the church in, in even this country is increasing every day. Who will make things right? Who can we rely on? The Lord. Remember us, Lord. Take vengeance. Glorify your name through the working of your great power in wrath. And if we are relying on the Lord to take vengeance, our faith surely will grow. Our love for our Heavenly Father will increase. Knowing that he fights our battles, this will lead to more and more repentance and a desire to follow him and he's already proven that he fights our battles, hasn't he? He has already proven this. How? In Samson's death, he struck down many enemies, uh, but they were only symptoms. Jesus, in his death, defeated the root, the enemy, sin, death, and the devil. Jesus took upon those covenant curses, being hung on a tree so that we can be blessed. Samson pulled down the house... Of the Philistines, Jesus pulled down Satan's kingdom. It says in Galatians that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus declares also in John 12, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So the ultimate vengeance, my friends, has already been accomplished on the cross. Consider it done. Consider it finished. And remember, Samson in his text was buried. He was buried. End of story. Jesus, too, was buried. Not the end of the story. Not the end of the story. He rose again, proving that his work on the cross was not in vain. Surely he washed our sins away, defeated Satan, and is coming again in fiery vengeance upon haters of God. As it says in 2 Thessalonians 1, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There's not many other texts that can lead us to repentance. My friends, no matter who you are, Christian, non-Christian, mature believer, immature believer, backsliding Christian, pious Christian, The call goes out to all of us this morning. The time is now to repent. Not tomorrow, not after you go and get things settled, get your things in order, but now. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, Romans 13. Similarly, God says to Israel in Declaration of Judgment in the book of Amos, powerful words, prepare to meet your God. All Christians, no matter your circumstance, your situation, your maturity level, the time has come. Repent. And if you do not know Christ this morning, do not wait. The time is now. Don't be a Philistine, for your pride will be brought to an end, either with repentance or with judgment. Let's lay aside let's lay aside our weights, brothers and sisters, like the sandbag on my back that was slowly breaking me down. Instead, let's look to Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. The one who pulled down the house of Satan in his death is faithful. And so may we live a life of repentance, always following him who has forgiven us of our sins. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We look to you as a good and gracious God who loves your people, no matter what we have done. So by your Spirit, sanctify us, grow us, help us to repent daily so that we can be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, living lives that are worthy of your gospel, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.